0: Welcome to Arbel Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. In Numbers 22, we introduced Balaam. Balaam was a well known prophet from Mesopotamia. When Israel had defeated multiple kingdoms near the promised land, the king of Moab, whose name was Balak, knew that his only hope was to have someone curse Israel. And over the course of the next several months, Balak sent communication to Balaam, pleading with him to come help. Initially, Balaam listened to the Lord, and he stayed in Mesopotamia, but he really wanted to go to Moab and help. There was a lot of money at stake, as we discussed in our last podcast. Eventually, God gives Balaam the desires of his heart, and he comes to Moab. At the very end of chapter 22, Balak takes Balaam to a high place for a Canaanite god. And this is the setting for our text. So let's begin by looking at the very beginning of Numbers 23, just the first two verses. Here's what it says. Then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me here. Balak did just as Balaam had spoken and Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar so Balaam instructs Balak to construct seven altars why seven? well there's two very different thoughts to the reasons behind these seven altars the first thought is that Balaam wanted Balak to create seven different altars to seven different gods. There's an ancient Mesopotamian text that talks about a story where people erected seven altars to the gods Ea, Shamash, and Marduk. So maybe that's what the, that was the reason behind these seven altars. In addition, they set seven censers of Cyprus and sacrificed seven sheep in that story from Mesopotamia. Balaam could have been simply trying to reach out to as many gods as he could for help in this situation. But is that consistent with what we discussed in our last podcast together in Numbers 22? See, remember, Balaam had already met God on his way to Moab. Maybe there's something else going on in this text. Well, the second option is that it was God's idea to have seven altars at this location. As we read our Bible, we've got to keep in mind the original audience. In our Western world, numbers are simply a quantification, right? When we read that Balaam instructed Balak to construct seven altars, we immediately picture seven altars in our minds. An Easterner reads this very differently. See to an easterner numbers are symbolic first and foremost and quantitative secondly. 7 is a special special number in the Bible. We actually see the number 7 860 times. If it is symbolic, what does it symbolize? The number 7 symbolizes fullness or completion. In the Bible. And we see this number at the very beginning of the Bible. There were seven days of creation, Genesis 1 and 2. We also see at the end of the Bible in Revelation, the number seven is also important. It's actually used 54 times in the book of Revelation. So, this number seven, if this was God's idea, I think it was, there was a reason why he chose seven altars. And as we read that Balak constructed these seven altars, I believe, by the way, he truly constructed seven altars. I don't think that is some sort of literary tool that is supposed to be just imagery. We see this in the story, but it's not simply a symbolic number. See, we're gonna see that God is at work in this story. And we're gonna discuss that further as this story unfolds. Now, what did Balaam instruct Balak to sacrifice on each altar? Well, we see that he sacrificed a bull and a ram. In Leviticus, we read about the offerings of bulls and rams. These two animals were offerings for sin. And guilt, they were animals known to be sacrificed to the God of Israel. Again, visualize where these t- these men were standing. They are at a high place dedicated to the Canaanite god Baal. We see that towards the end of Numbers twenty-two, verse forty-one. So Balak was willing to do whatever Balaam told him to do because Balaam was his only hope of helping him defeat the Israelites. So he sacrificed these animals on behalf of Balaam. Let's read verses three through five together. Here's what it says. Then Balaam said to Balak, stand beside your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a bare hill. Now God met Balaam and he said to him, I have set up the seven altars and I have offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and you shall speak thus. And we're going to keep going in a moment. But Balaam tells Balak to stay beside the sacrifices and that he would go to what he says in verse three is a bare hill, a bare hill. This Hebrew word simply describes a desolate area without vegetation. Remember, Balaam and Balak were already on a high place dedicated to Baal. They were overlooking the valley in which they could see some of the Israelites, and Balaam hiked from there to a barren place. Likely, it was actually lower in elevation. And he did that to get alone so that God might meet with him. I think this is important. See, as we look at the New Testament, we often see scriptures about a solitary place. For instance, Jesus modeled getting up early in the morning and going to a solitary place and praying, Mark 1.35. Well, that Greek word for a solitary place is a remos tapos, on several other occasions, we read that Jesus slips off to an area of a Ramos Tapos to have time alone with the Lord. And a Ramos Tapos was simply a place where the ground was too steep or rocky to be able to farm. So rabbis would often take their disciples to an Araimos Tapos to teach. Why? Well, a rabbi would want a solitary place that would be quiet. So they wouldn't disturb the farmland of the people. One of the most famous stories in the Bible takes place in an Aramis Tapos. Mark six thirty two, we read the story of the feeding of the five thousand. Look at that text, because it says specifically that Jesus and his disciples were at a solitary. Place. Look at Mark six, thirty-two. Here's what it says: They went away in the boat to a secluded place, by themselves. They went to an Aramos tapos, by themselves, and then we get to the feeding of the five thousand. Balaam knew that God met people at solitary, quiet places. I don't know how he knew that but we see it all through Scripture. Jesus and his disciples also knew it. Let me ask you a question. Where is your Aramos tapos? Where is the place that you can go to get away with the Lord? Do you have one? Do you have a, a quiet place that you spend time with the Lord every morning? Is it, see, it's easy to say, that we want to spend time with him. Listen, know that he is willing. I picture him excitedly waiting on his time with me every morning. And all I need is an Aremos tapos to meet with him. So where is your solitary place? If we're going to be like Jesus, we need to follow in the footsteps that he modeled in Mark 1.35. Let me ask you another question. As we continue this look at Balaam, does it surprise you at all that God continues to use Balaam? I mean, after all we talked about in Numbers 22, God continues to speak to him. Balaam's heart was bent towards wickedness and rebellion, yet he still encountered the presence of God in this story. The text says, He put a word in Balaam's mouth in verse five. This is the same phrase found in other texts. Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Jeremiah 1, 9. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. God put his words in the mouth of prophets. We see this with Ezekiel, Ezekiel 3. We see this with Moses in Numbers 12. We see this with Jeremiah in in Jeremiah 1. And we see this with Balaam. Balaam becomes a prophet that God uses. Even with his many shortcomings, God still uses Balaam as his instrument. While that's an honor, understand that God also used a donkey to speak his words in Numbers 22. Balaam returns to Balak and and the other leaders of Moab, and he begins to deliver the words of the Lord. And know that this is the first of several oracles from the Lord. As Balaam returns to the high place of Baal, I imagine the people were hopeful that Balaam would would come ready to curse Israel. The message they received was far different than they expected. Let's look at verses 7 through 10 together. Here's what it says. He took up his discourse and said, "From from, From Aram, Balak has brought me. Moab's king from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? As I see him from the top of the rocks and I look at him from the hills, behold, a people who dwells apart and I will not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob? or number the fourth part of Israel. Let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his. So we discussed last podcast, Balaam had apparently come from about 420 miles away. It had taken months to get Balaam to Moab. And Balaam says, when he gets there, That it would be impossible to curse a people that God had not cursed. He was not a sorcerer, as Balak thought. And as Balaam looked at the people from that high vantage point, he noticed a people it says that lived apart. Now, he's not talking about apart from one another, they lived apart from other nations. They were different. They were distinctive. They were God's treasured possessions. Listen to Exodus 19, verses five and six. Now then, if you will indeed obey my my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Israel was God's segulah. That's that Hebrew word for that uh, own possession in that text. They were his treasured possession. And not only that, they were called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. As we get to the New Testament, What are we called to be? Well, look at 1 Peter 2, verse 9 with me. 1 Peter 2, 9. Here's what it says. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let me ask you this question. How are you doing being God's Segula? How are you doing being his treasured possession? See, we have an enemy that wants us to forget how God sees us. When God looks at us, he sees something special that he truly values and he truly loves. And because of this, he wants us to live a life that is different. Than the world. The world should look at us and see us as a royal priesthood and a holy nation. That cannot happen if we look exactly like them. That only happens if our lives are radically different. Are you being the holy priest that God has called you to be? Look with me at verses 11 and 12. Then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have actually blessed them. He replied, must I not be careful to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Balak is furious. I brought you here to curse Israel, and you have blessed them instead. And Balaam reminds Balak of what he has said from the beginning. He would only speak the words from the Lord. Verses 13 to 24 are verses. We're not going to read all of them, but, but, but we see that Balak does not give up. Maybe if Balaam is in a different location, maybe the result will be different. And he takes Balaam to the top of a mountain called Pisgah and he builds seven altars for sacrifice there. And Balaam goes off and gets more words from the Lord. We see that in verse 16. And he goes back to Balak to tell him the second oracle from the Lord. Essentially, he tells Balak, God's not like man. If God says he's going to bless Israel, nothing will change his mind. The Lord is with Israel. He's the one that brought Israel out of Egypt. And there's nothing on earth that could change God's will and curse Israel after he had blessed them. Now, Balak is really in a bad spot at this point. He realizes that the tide has turned. In a desperate situation, he utters the words of verses 25 and 26. So what it says, Then Balak said to Balaam, Do not curse them at all, nor bless them at all. But Balaam replied to Balak, "Did I not tell you, whatever the Lord speaks, that I must do? Have you ever asked for something when you knew the answer beforehand? My junior year in high school, two of my friends went on a college tour at Vanderbilt, and they came back ecstatic. They they loved the campus. They loved." the school, and they were sold. They were ready to enroll. And just hearing their story, I told my dad, I said, you know what? I think I might want to go to Vanderbilt. Now, this was years ago. I think the cost of tuition at that time was about $35,000 per year. And I'll never forget my dad's response. How about you go to the University of Tennessee? (laughs) Now, he said, I'll pay for that. That's where he went to school. And from that day forward, I knew where I was going to school. I should have known, though, before I asked the question about Vanderbilt, what the answer would be. Have you ever been there where you should know the answer before you even ask the question? Well, in Numbers 23, Balak really wanted Balaam to curse God's people. And on multiple occasions, Balak asked Balaam to do just that. But Balak should have known the answer before he asked Balaam to curse the people God had chosen for himself. And I love that response by Balaam. He tells Balak that he must speak the words the Lord puts in his mouth and do what the Lord tells him to do. You know, the same is true for any follower of Christ. We are to speak the words that he gives us. You know, just as Balaam proclaims that he must speak the words of God, we got to speak God's words. In the original language, Balaam's response is in the imperfect tense, and that that means it's a continuous thing. All the time, Balaam says, I have to speak God's words every second and every moment, not just yesterday, but any time I've got to speak his words. The same is true for us. Matthew 10, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the hard road that would follow. He was clear with his instructions for them. The Holy Spirit would give them the words to say, listen to this. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say. For it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your Father who speaks in you. You know, Paul was also clear about this principle in 1 Corinthians. The words he spoke were not from the flesh. They're from the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts With spiritual words. So understand the Lord uses the Holy Spirit within us to speak His words, but we have to constantly, continuously yield to Him and allow Him to speak freely. The second part not only are we to speak His words, but we are to do His will just like Balaam. Balaam proclaims that he must do what God tells him to do. We've got to obey the Lord completely. Again, in the original language, this Hebrew word is written in the imperfect tense, meaning Balaam is saying, "I have to continuously obey God." Same is true for us. We have to always obey His will. Listen to Hebrews thirteen. Now, the God of peace, who brought uh, brought up from the dead the great Shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, the Lord equips us to do his will. He wants everything we do to be pleasing in his sight. And that only happens if we're continuously connected to him and we're listening for his guidance. You know, I knew the answer before I asked my dad about attending Vanderbilt. Balak should have known the answer before asking Balaam to curse God's people. But there's another answer that I should know before asking the question, what should my life be about as a follower of Christ? Listen, I am to speak his words and do his will. My life is to be completely about him. And if it's not, then I cannot call myself a follower of Christ. How are you doing being a follower of Christ? Are you being sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Are you speaking the words he gives you each and every moment? Are you doing his will continuously? May God use us for his kingdom and his purposes. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please reach out to me. Let me know how God's using it in your life. You can reach me on Twitter at Arbel Ministries or at at my email account, arbelministries at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, please rate it for us. Share it with others. Help us get the word out so that God can be glorified. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.